I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Kieran. Hey, Eve. Hi. Hi. How are you? I <laughs> am surprisingly well-rested, which is great and magical. And did you know that sleep is good? actually no i don't believe that that's against my religion <laughs> yeah you know you know what kate calls me right no um our friend kate has always called me the creature because i don't sleep like a normal person and she thinks i don't sleep at all but we've hung out enough times that she knows it's not true yeah i know you sleep it's but just like you know well. yeah it's not a lot <laughs> I'm so glad you rested. Yeah. Trazodone, hear- apparently, is the shit. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah. Good, good, good job. I'm happy with this. Well, we have a special guest who we've been trying to get on here for a little while, who's finally able to join us. Um, I'd like to welcome our friend, Danny Ward. Hello. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. Danny, tell us a little bit about you. What... What should people know? You make our merch. Yeah, all of our awesome merch is from Danny. Yes, Mm -hmm. that was really, really fun to work on. I was super happy to be able to do that. Um, I'm a hand letterer illustration artist focusing on geekery, self-care, and activism in my work. I grew up Plymouth Brethren. If anyone is familiar with that denomination, it's very similar to how y'all grew up, but a little more on the evangelical side, I think. And I went to Bob Jones University and got expelled after five months. (laughs) What What? a record. What a record. That's great. Modern day hero right here. Yeah, we'll need to, we'll need to get into how that (laughs) happened. Yeah. (laughs) Karen, do you know the story? Yes. Okay, okay, I was going to say, like, no. I, I, I would love, I would like, I would be really enjoying this if, like, you had not heard this part of that story before, and this was your first encounter with it, but this is going to be good anyway. Yeah. No, I have, but no one else has, so... Uh, it's great. It's, it's good. a good one. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, Bob Jones University Day, if you haven't put that together. I'm excited. I'm excited to finally talk about this. Why would Bob Jones make you excited? Well... <laughs> Explain your way out of this one. <laughs> Maybe excited is the wrong word. Yeah. Schadenfreude. That's, that's, we're feeling a little Schadenfreude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I feel like, I feel like, um, Danny would be the better person to give a, uh, quick explanation about what Bob Jones is since you went there and I just knew about it and didn't go there. Um, we all knew about it. Everybody (laughs) knew about it. They have a homeschool curriculum. No, they have a private school curriculum that homeschoolers use a lot. Oh my God, they're math which is books. One of their, <sighs> which is one of the ways that everybody in our world is familiar with them. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up going to a small, like Liberty Bob Jones feeder school, and definitely used BJU Press. Um, so, if you're somehow listening to this and unaware of what Bob Jones University is, it is an incredibly conservative quote-unquote university down in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, They are technically non-denominational, but most of the people there are independent fundamental Baptist. 
they are super homophobic, super sexist, and uh, not least of all, super racist. Uh, they fought all the way to the Supreme Court to try to maintain their uh, tax-exempt status while still not allowing black students to enroll. And they had a rule until the year 2000, right before George W. Bush went to visit, that dating someone outside of your gender was punishable by expulsion. And they took that off the books right before his visit, so there would be ever so slightly less of a media explosion. Wait, you mean outside of your race, not outside of your gender? Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. It has been a long day. <laughs> I was like, okay. wow, I don't remember that one. <laughs> I, I'm like, wait, hang on. Yeah, by the time there would have been so much happier. <laughs> the, the racist, pros, gay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, those of you who've read the ProPublica piece that we keep referencing about, like, the origins of the religious right will recall how um, Bob Jones like basically exists because of Brown versus Board of Education in order to provide spaces for uh, white supremacist fundamentalist Christian people to go to school and not have their uh, racist asses offended mm -hmm. by, you know, having to see black people. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and... The founder of the school was... They were just so racist. Were so oh, racist. so, so much. Um, a friend of mine, her <laughs> academic... Uh, just get into it. <laughs> yes, go. This is... You Sorry. have the floor. Uh, well, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Camille Lewis, if anyone is familiar with her, her uh, career focus is on the KKK and how they kind of infiltrated, you know, everything at the around 1920s is about where she starts and Bob Jones Sr. Uh, often would kind of be places where the KKK would be. We don't have definitive proof that he was a member, but they were... But we also don't have definitive proof that he wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> and considering the man penned something called Is Segregation Biblical or Scriptural, I think it might be scriptural, so we have the alliteration there. I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that he was involved. If not involved, then at least a, a yeah. fan. Yeah, we, we're, including, we're including the text of that sermon, which is a sermon. <laughs> is segregation scriptural? We're, we're including the text of that sermon for y'all to peruse if you want to turn your stomach really quickly. Yeah, uh, that was honestly a, a history of Bob Jones that I didn't know before enrolling. Um, a friend of mine did a lot of research on the school when he found out I was going there. And two weeks before I went. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what did you know about the school going in? I knew that they were, I think the way I put it before I enrolled was insanely conservative, which 20 year old ableist me, you know, but I knew that they were very strict on things that I thought didn't matter. They were strict on the non-essentials of Christianity, as far as I was concerned. 
Um, my parents' best friends were graduates. Things like wearing hose to chapel. Yes, wearing hose to chapel. Um, not being able to listen to what ended up being like 99.8% of my music library when I went there. Um, <laughs> uh, music with a backbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I was so pissed that I like did the math to see what it was. And it was, I think, 0.26% of my audio files were, quote, checkable. And most of those were sermons wow. <laughs> or just instrumental piano. I was so angry. <laughs> um, mm. So things like that that I thought were just absolutely non-essential. Uh, wearing skirts every day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. That makes sense. What was the policy on, like, women going off campus for literally anything? Um, or working. Or working. <laughs> uh, working I didn't know a whole lot about because I didn't work on or off campus. Um, but women, I think it might have been campus-wide, like men and women, but women especially weren't allowed to go off campus by themselves until they were in their junior year or had acquired junior privileges. I transferred after three years at a community college, so I was lucky enough to have those junior privileges upon entering so I could go off campus when I wanted by myself, unless it was 7 p.m. or after, in which case no female student (laughs) could be off campus by herself. The, the guys could, no issue for them. So wait, so not only is it a sundown town for black people, but it's also a sundown town, sundown campus for women, because then it's like becomes open season for raping them, right? I guess. Like I remember hearing about a girl who had been off campus and got expelled because she used mace on somebody who tried to attack her downtown because mace was something you weren't allowed to have. Oh, she got expelled. Yeah. <laughs> all right good wow um see i thought so, patrick henry was bad no 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 patrick henry is not yeah see, okay so i was trying to remember like which school it was because i remember looking at both pensacola and bob jones just because my super conservative cousins were encouraging both of those places as good places. And my mom was like, Bob Jones has a publishing house. You could like graduate and then like go work for them. (laughs) No. Because obviously I'm not capable of making it in mainstream publishing. No, you have to, you have to do the ones with the really bad math books. I will never not be angry about their math books. (laughs) They're so bad. Uh, Their history books are so bad. They're even worse. I only had their math and I was like, I wanted to throw it out the window. Their history books are like straight up, like drink the bleach revisionist history. White supremacy is the only way to live. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad I did not have that. I just remember looking at the, um, student handbooks for both of these schools Pensacola and Bob Jones and like considering applying to both of them and then seeing that both of them required female students to wear hosiery like stockings Mm -hmm. up until a certain point during every day and I was like what oh hell no yeah no because I was like I was like hardcore on that like Unless it's for ballet, and in which case, like, I can, there's a purpose for it. I'm not wearing stockings ever. And I lived in Virginia, and 
I got so much shade at church for not wearing <laughs> stockings, and I was like, I hate them. I'm this not is doing your hill. it. Uh, this is my hill. I chose to die on it. it <laughs> my heels were threefold. They were one, holding my pencil the wrong way, taking French instead of Spanish in high school, and not wearing stockings to church. <laughs> uh, Those are good hills. Indeed. So... Yeah, they had relaxed that a little bit by the time I got there. Um, we had to wear hose Sunday mornings if we went to church on campus, and uh, we had to wear them to like evening activities, like artist series, or if we were going to, I believe, if we were going to like a performance that was happening after five p.m. That sort of thing. So it thankfully wasn't all the time, but uh, the what I remember one artist series my nude pair of hose had a huge run in them so i ended up wearing what was basically fishnet i have no idea how i got away with that no <laughs> idea whatsoever <laughs> well it was hose so yeah. you're following the rules and it wasn't intentionally fishnet right right but th <laughs> they were hot i was really glad i got to wear them so <laughs> So, yeah, there, yeah, it's in Greenville, South Carolina. That's why it's hot. All right, so what was your experience like there? What, what was your, like, culture shock moment, like, stepping onto campus and being part of the community when you transferred in? Probably the thing that shocked me the most and the most quickly was talking to people there. Because how I grew up, I was always the most conservative person, even in my classes at school. Plymouth Brethren are not a like widely spread denomination and so I was one of two Plymouth Brethren kids there the other one being my brother so I was used to being the only conservative like super conservative person there <laughs> I was used to being the only super conservative person the three years that I was in my community college especially that last year because I was the only woman in my major so suddenly showing up to Bob Jones mm -hmm. University and I was the most liberal person in every group I was part of. And that just absolutely threw me for a loop. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. Like how, how did you know that you, like what, what were the things that like were evidence of that? Uh, the kind of music I listened to, even Christian music wise. Um, at that point I had started listening to secular music as well, which was, you know, a huge deal. But um, <gasps> yeah. Scandal. But the Christian music I listened to, you know, a lot of people were not allowed to. I had been, like, going to, like, Skillet and Pillar concerts and stuff in high school, and that was just absolutely a no-go. So edgy. That's just, like, hardcore. That's just, like, That's basically death rock and metal. roll. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, yeah. like, you're done. <laughs> yeah. You're going to hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all, yes. those, all those Skillet concerts are what did it. In case, in case you're a new listener here, like, I just want to take a second and, like, explain the whole, like, rock hatred. There's this, like, kind of the whole history of the Baptist music scene. It, like, involves, like, when Elvis and rock and roll started. Not only was it, like, black music being brought into white spaces, and so they had a problem with that for that reason, but it was also like sexual in a way that like white music had not been up until that point. And so there was this like immediate like pushback in the churches. And then you add to it like the the Beatles and like 
their whole like the whole reputational thing of like if you play their songs backwards like you know they're like conducting seances with the devil um and so with the satanic panic stuff like music that like was affiliated with those genres that started from those or came out of those genres was like considered like suspect and immoral yeah that was why like Christian contemporary music was so, like, controversial. I remember there being discussions about whether or not it was okay for there to be a drum beat mm-hmm. or, like, a bass, because, like, that could be getting really close to the devil's music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, like, is, right. is said totally seriously. They're not joking totally, when totally they say ser- this. Yeah, they no, are saying no this with, like, the utmost sincerity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, entirely sincere. So that's just context for that whole thing right um one of the things i remember was the first time reading through the handbook because at that point students did not get to look at the handbook typically until they were on campus because i remember asking my advisor before i got there like hey can i take a look at the handbook and i was not able to get a copy so the first time they want to make sure you're, you're, they get you before they get you. Yeah. Well, at the very back of the handbook, you have to sign a statement saying that you agree with the rules and agree to abide by them. And I don't know how I got away with this because I put a note there, like, I don't agree with these rules, but I will obey them. Um, and I don't know how that didn't huh. catch me under the radar somehow. Wow. Yeah. You're um. so rebellious. <laughs> we talked back to the so, book. So wait, didn't that give you legal protections for later? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh lord. Um, so what were what were some of the things in the handbook? Uh, students were allowed. To, the one I'm thinking about specifically, students were allowed to work at restaurants so long as they were not serving. And they specified open containers of alcohol. And I read that and started laughing. I was like, so does that mean that I could work somewhere and hand someone an unopened can of beer? And the conversation... You can work at the ABC store. Right. The conversation in the room stopped. And everyone turned and looked at me like, what the fuck did you just say? And I was like, all right. Uh, can't joke about this stuff here. Let's see. But- One of the things that was very heavy in the handbook and especially heavy with the first dorm meeting that I had was talking about more or less turning in your fellow students. So not only if you broke the rules would you get in trouble, if you knew someone else had broken a rule and you didn't tell someone, whatever punishment they gave, you would also get. So, oh, I remember this. I remember yeah. st- seeing this. Yeah, that's so snitches. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a thing. And especially in the dorm meeting, uh, there was a whole lot of talk about like how scary it is to be in college now. And I know a lot of that was aimed at the freshmen. And even though that was my first year there, like I said, I'd had three years of college under my belt already. I had worked like in a secular public workspace for almost a full year. Like I had actual experience in, you know, what life was actually like. And you're probably the only one who did. Yeah. I didn't know anyone else there who did. Um, 
So I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them talk about, you know, it's so scary to be in this new place. It's so big. There's so many people. You're away from home for the first time. Almost like they were amping up and trying to make people more anxious. And then immediately after mm. that, slipping in to soothe them. Like, but if you have any problems, if you have any questions, please come. Oh. It's emphasizing yeah. the parental, like it's emphasizing this like benevolent patriarchy role that they want to play in your life. Absolutely. And I just, I remembered, I remember sitting there and thinking, this isn't okay. Like I see what they're doing and it's not okay. But part of the reason I was there was that I thought the Lord wanted to teach me to be submissive. So my approach was I'm going to obey the rules while I'm here. Turns out you misheard the Lord and he was talking about kink. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's a yes. whole other subject. <laughs> but like, that was the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I've thought about that like with us. We all so escaped sorry. and became queer. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I've thought about uh, if ever I run into old acquaintances and stuff while wearing what's essentially my collar if they're like what the fuck it's like well i mean you guys taught me to be submissive so i mean anyway <laughs> I, i'm very good that's at this beautiful so right before i went there was a couple of like really big life things that happened for me right before i enrolled um that kind of involved what people would think of as disobedience. I was 20 years old, my parents told me they didn't want me to be friends with a specific person because that person was going through a divorce and I remained their friend anyway. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So that was, you know, me being How disobedient dare. to them. That was a betrayal to them. And it was a big thing where I thought, you know, God is trying to teach me to submit to my authorities even if I don't think what my authority wants me to do is correct. I have to submit, I have to obey, because obeying is correct, even if what they want me to do isn't. So that was my whole mindset when going to Bob Jones. Like, this is what the Lord wants. And the reason I thought it was what the Lord wants, again, 20 years old, I'm, you know, a grown-ass adult. I had a degree in graphic design already. I had planned to go on to art school. I wanted to go to the Maryland Institute College of Art and get my bachelor's in graphic design. And my parents told me that they would not co-sign mm -hmm. a loan for me to go there. And they would not, further than that, they would not give me their blessing. Why not? Uh, because you know what happens at art schools. You know what happens with the liberal arts and uh, seriously um so not only would they not co-sign alone yeah. they would not give their blessing for me to major in art in any secular college so uh that was a huge huge blow their assumption was that if you went to a secular college you would ha end up having sex and therefore they weren't going to co-sign those loans. Uh, not even necessarily sex. Basically. Like I, maybe I would turn queer, little did they know. Maybe I would start drinking. Maybe I would start <laughs> doing drugs. Like I, they would pull me away from the Lord and I would become worldly and backslidden. 
and my brother had mm -hmm. already been that person. I had been the good child. They wanted to keep me the good child. So um, after that conversation, like yeah. I said, I already had a degree. I was working on a certificate in a related field and there just were not jobs where I was and I couldn't stay at home if I wasn't going to college either. Mm -hmm. So my hands were just kind of tied every which way. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at Christian colleges. Okay. And Bob Jones ended up being right, right, right. the most affordable. And hilariously enough, my mom was the one who suggested it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as Bob Jones being affordable. So wait, at that point, Bob Jones wasn't. Bob Jones wasn't doing the thing that Grove City, my alma mater, did where it refused to take federal aid in order to be exempt from title nine right i i don't remember like i none of that was remotely on my radar like i know y'all were like y'all grew up very political my family is somewhat political but i had at that point become very decidedly apolitical i thought that you know the lord handles that i don't need to be involved I just need to live my life to please him and I'll let him handle everything else. So anything governmental, anything like that, I just had absolutely no idea. Um, yeah, so one of the things that I've been seeing as I've been digging around in these articles about Bob Jones is that it seems to me that they are still under Title Nine, but they... <sighs> they wanted to keep their tax-exempt status mm -hmm. and still maintain the segregation that they wanted. And that was their issue that they decided to make the hill to die on rather than the Title IX stuff. And so they, they still receive federal aid. And so they are supposed to comply with Title IX, mm -hmm. um, which is about, like, non-discrimination about sex, gender, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. And so while they pretend to be in compliance with that and are not actually in reality, they, the fight that they took to the Supreme Court was about the tax-exempt status and maintaining that status while also uh, promoting their segregationist views. Mm -hmm. Are you talking so about you, the one in the 80s? Mm -hmm. I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. So what, what was the thing that, that happened around that? Because, like, when... I can't remember the court case now. I totally blanked. But... Brown v. Board? Yes. Like, when that happened and schools had to start taking in students of color, a lot of white schools revolted against it and Bob Jones was one of those schools and they refused to admit black students for a very long time and that did not change until like what 2000 uh they in 2001 2001 so no, that yeah. that was the interracial dating I forget when the first black student enrolled but I think it was oh, right sometime in the mid to late 80s right yeah so well, yeah. it says here in this thing, I think it was in 72, hang on, and, like, they dropped out. Oh, that could be. That Understandably. So, like, they, 
like they they couldn't main, they couldn't keep a black student enrolled right. from that point on. Right. Um, and they got more pressure to like make it possible for a black student to stay. So, okay, so you said something earlier that I want to ask you about, mm-hmm. Danny. You said that you didn't recognize that racism was real until you got to the campus. Tell me what you mean by that. Because I think that's really important because we have talked a lot about how we grew up so immersed in white supremacy that we didn't even realize that it was part of our personal worldview until much later. Mm-hmm. Um, because it wasn't ever like overtly taught. Right. As like, this is a thing that we believe in. Um, it was always taught as something that we don't believe in. So talk to me about what your experience was like with that. Well, I think I was like a lot of white people in their late teens and early 20s as far as like, you know, racism was real. It was a really big deal. But then Martin Luther King Jr. happened and everything's okay now. And people who say that they are experiencing Mm. racism are just using the race card they're just trying to get a free pass and do things that whatever like you know the whole mindset as far as that goes the friend who begged me not to go did a lot of research on the whole Bob Jones versus the Supreme Court thing and tried to tell me about it and I was like you're you're just making shit up like I I flat out don't believe you Mm -hmm. and then I got there and before I get into that another thing with my denomination is that we're pretty well integrated Um, like the summer camp that I worked at that was very specifically Plymouth Brethren was typically a third to half people of color as far as the people who were on staff so that was just something that I thought was normal And then I got to Bob Jones and there were about 5,000 students and there were five or fewer black students. And I was like, whoa, wow, this is, this is not normal. Because again, three years at community college where it's not all white. And then at Bob Jones where it's like 98% white across a whole campus of thousands of people it just I remember it striking me really hard like oh this isn't this isn't a mistake like this is by design mm-hmm. right. and it hit me even harder about two or three months into my time there because one of my roommates was Filipino and like I had a lot of friends from church who were Filipino and I was like all right this is just like you know, being with people that I used to work with. And it just did not occur to me that it might be a, a big deal until she came back to the dorm one day, just sobbing uncontrollably. And I asked her what had happened. And she said that a group of white students had been harassing her and the Filipino group that she hung out with and weren't letting them do things because they were Asian. And she was just utterly crushed. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, we were sitting on the floor like with our backs against the door because she didn't want to deal with anybody else. I remember just holding her and thinking, what 
what even is this? Like, this isn't what Christianity is supposed to be about. And for a place that's supposedly the fortress of faith, like, this is fucked up. So those were kind of my big moments. As well as one woman who did talk to me before I went. It was a church where my dad was preaching one day and she and her husband were Indian. When she found out I was going there, she pulled me aside and she's like, you need to be really careful when you go there because they teach that black people and people who are not white are descendants of Cain. And that, you know, we are marked by that sin and, you know, you need to be careful. You need to go in there knowing that and being able to fight against that biblically. And I remember thinking that there's no way they teach that. Mm -hmm. And at that point they didn't, but they did in 2003. And I was there in 2008. So it was uh, not an Mm -hmm. old teaching there. And I am almost positive that there were uh, Bible teachers there who likely still worked that in. I only ever took two Bible classes while I was there. So that just wasn't really in my experience while there. But after being there for a week, I 100% believed what she said. Okay, so that's this is all like after being there for a week. Why didn't you leave? Let's talk about this before we get to why you actually did leave. Um, oh, and let's like sidebar real fast and just explain what descendant of Cain means. Oh, God. <laughs> Go for it, Kieran. So Cain was the cursed son, right? Yep. I'm, yes. He's the one who killed his brother and got the curse put on him, right? Right. And so, and it's been so long since I've even, like, thought about this, and I think I'm, no. Well, I I mean, (laughs) like, the eugenicist version of it that is often, like, was often touted, put it passed around, was, like, the descendant of Ham. Yes. That was one I had heard. Right. Which is after the flood. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I always heard, but descendant of Cain is different. I always heard that the descendants of Ham were Arabic, were Islam, basically, and that what this woman told me about it was the mark of Cain. The mark of Cain was dark skin, was apparently what they were teaching. Mm. So the mark of Cain was what marked Cain. Yeah, which is used as a right, and I think there's some there's some groups that taught that the, the the descendants of Ham were cursed by Noah and that's what the dark skin was about there too mm-hmm. but either way the, the it was used to like prop up race based enslavement of people of color mm-hmm. right it was basically like these people are lesser and sinners and you can tell so because their skin is darker mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, so that's that in a nutshell we can get back to why you didn't just book it immediately and then <laughs> why you why you did. Um, so the reason I stayed was, again, very closely tied to believing that obeying my authority, whether that authority was correct, was the right thing to do. Like, it wasn't my job to question them or to go against them they were the ones that the lord had put in authority over me and 
it was my job to obey them. Like that was the part of the deal that I could control. So I didn't like it. I didn't think that it was good, but I thought that it would, uh, it would give me more experience, I guess, and would give, it would show that I was able to obey and able to submit and able to be, you know, a good Christian woman if I could survive in those circumstances because likely I would never have to face anything like that again. There was also some like family issues at the time where uh, my parents and I had had a really big fight right before I left and I wanted to prove myself, not just to them, but to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to prove that I could do this. I could make it through this. I was strong enough to do it. Because at that time, I thought that right. I was, you know, backsliding from the Lord and I wanted to grow closer to him. And I thought this was the way that I could do that, even if what was going on around me was just absolutely ridiculous. If I could survive it, if I could cling to the Lord and make it through, then I would be better for it. So, Danny, were you backsliding from the Lord? <sighs> I mean, apparently. (laughs) 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 All right. So (laughs) um, let's fast forward a little bit. You decide to stick it out because you think that like suffering is holy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And you want to prove yourself to your parents. Then you get expelled. Yeah. Pray tell. Um, Trigger warning for our listeners. Yes, for extreme sexism and just, I don't even know how to describe it. Because like 11 years later, I'm still kind of gobsmacked by how things went down. So um, I met a guy Mm -hmm. while I was there who very desperately wanted to be my friend. I did not want to be his friend, but he kept pursuing and kept pursuing, and you know that we're supposed to give them a chance. So I did, because I was... Right, because otherwise you're just, you know, an uppity whatever. Yeah, and who knows, the Lord might use that person, because, you know, men are not closer to God, but maybe God had told him something that he hadn't told me kind of deal, was a lot of what I heard as far as being open to being friends or dating someone that you might not otherwise be into. So uh, we were thrust together by our loneliness and family issues and the fact that he wouldn't leave me alone. So of course we started dating and one thing led to another. and we ended up having sex. Did you fall down that slippery slope? I did. It was it was a, a hop, skip, and a jump. Like it was it was nuts. <laughs> and there's a lot like wrapped up in that, just with my personal history and everything, like trauma history and all of that, that I don't think is necessarily relevant. But I remember thinking that, like after we'd had sex, thinking wow, I understand why some people 
are really not okay after this. Like I can emotionally understand that. And I wish I had listened to that part of myself um, because that was very much what had been going on. Spoiler alert, that man was uh, very abusive. Uh, I did end up marrying him. We were together for seven years, married for six, and are now divorced happily. <laughs> and also, I feel like, forgive me if I'm s- saying too much, mm-hmm. um, in which case we can we can maybe edit this out or something, but um, my understanding at some point was that even that first encounter was not entirely consensual. Yes. I was very into making out. I was very into being physically close but I was also very entrenched in the idea that I think a lot of us heard in the purity culture movement that you know men are going to push it and it's your job to say no so the fact that he pushed it didn't register to me whatsoever as being a red flag because this is just how it is supposed to go. This is just what happens if I allow things to move further. Because after all, I kissed him. We were making out in my car. Mm-hmm. Like, what else was he supposed to expect? Right. So you had already given him a tacit green light for everything. Yes. Um, to his credit, um, later on in our marriage, as we were talking about such things and like I did not understand what consent was until about two years into my marriage I did not understand that it was a thing um so as we were right and these things were not really taught in that world at all not not at all so as we were kind of talking through that I remember looking at him and I was like I said no and you didn't stop and he was horrified and he apologized and I respect the hell out of him for that that doesn't erase like the rest of his shittery but that's something that I did appreciate at that time but the time that we finally had what everyone would consider actual sex that was very much a consensual both of us wanted it we both went for it but the first couple of encounters Mm -hmm. went farther than I wanted them to go. Mm -hmm. Now, but just having sex is grounds for expulsion, but only if they find out. So how did that go down? My suspicion is that one of my roommates read my journal and told the administration. Because I was one of those kids who kept a journal and who wrote everything in it. Because it was not just my journal, it was my prayer journal as well. And I'm an external processor, well, internal processor, Mm -hmm. but do it through writing. So I guess that's sort of external. So that's my assumption. Um, I had withdrawn at that point. I don't know if I've ever told either of you this. Uh, We had planned to get married. We had planned to withdraw and get Mm -hmm. married. Because, you know, if you have sex, you're already one before Mm. the Lord. So that was... What we needed to right. do and it was so really you have hard to go through with it yeah which is why i ended up marrying him in the first place a big reason but uh we each wrote letters to i wrote a letter mm-hmm. to his parents he wrote a letter to mine 
saying like, hey, this happened. It shouldn't have happened. We're sorry, but we do love each other. and We believe the Lord would have us get married and we are more or less asking for your blessing. And uh, mm -hmm. my parents were like, you know, let, we're going to call you at this time on this day. And I spent the hour before that phone call reading through the book of Proverbs and praying like there was no tomorrow. And I decided at the end of that, that whatever my parents' decision was, I would obey because they were my authority at that time. That authority hadn't transferred to my ex yet. So they called and right. they said that they thought the best thing for me would be to just come back home, go ahead and drop out and come home. So I was devastated. I hated it, but that's what I did. The official reason that we were telling people was that um, my health had been poor, which it had been. I was sick the entire time I was there, um, that I was really ill and that finances mm -hmm. just didn't work out. So that was the reason that we were telling the school and that was what we were going to tell anybody else who asked because of course this didn't need to be spread beyond who absolutely had to know. So I did all the paperwork for withdrawing and had planned to be out by the end of that week. I withdrew on a Tuesday and I believe it was Thursday then that I had been texting my ex over and over and not getting any response and I didn't see him at chapel I didn't know what was going on and as soon as chapel was over he managed to call me and he was like they know I don't know how they know but they know they're taking my phone away they're like locking me down basically they're coming for you too uh wow yeah, so uh, I managed to get a call off to that my is, That is a rapid escalation. Yes. Uh, I managed to get a call off to my mom and was like, hey, so uh, apparently shit's getting real. Of course, I didn't say it like that. And I was like, I, I just need you to know that this is happening <laughs> because I don't know what's going to happen after this. Right. And I was saying goodbye to her as my dorm supervisor walked into the room. So I had a little... LG flip Whoa. phone, closed the phone, and she had this really grim look on her face. And I just looked at her, I was like, let me guess, you want this, right? She's like, yeah, you're going to have to hand that over. So um, they took both of our cell phones what? away. We were not permitted to use them unless we were calling our parents. Um, we were not allowed to be alone anywhere at all. I don't know exactly what it was like for him but like my dorm supervisor went with me literally everywhere like i had to use the bathroom she stood outside the stall it was it was horrific um ended up of course being dragged into and you were how old mm -hmm. at that point i was 21 oh, oh my god. god so uh wow i'm getting choked up this like nowadays i tend to think it's funny but like in my prep for this and rereading everything, like just remembering the headspace I was in and how big all of that was back then. Like it, I, I was a completely broken person by the time I got home, but that's later. Um, so they took me to the Dean of Women's office. Can I just ask, mm -hmm. um, I just want to ask, like, do you think there's any chance that your parents were the ones who turned you in? No. 
I think it could have been his parents, but uh, the mm -hmm. reason I don't think it's my parents is because uh, my dad was an elder at our church at that time. So uh, Plymouth Brethren don't have pastors, they have a group of elders. So it's basically a pastor mm -hmm. that shares the burden with two to three other men. And we were on our way back from church, I think the second Sunday that I was home. And dad was saying that, you know, he really felt like I needed to confess to the elders of the church. And my mom went off and said that that was utterly unnecessary. Mm. And a big part of the reason for her was that my brother was already the one that all of the parents at church said, now you don't want to turn out like Jay Ward. Like he was the prodigal, he was the bad kid. He was the story that everybody- This is your brother. Yeah, he was the story that everybody told. And she was like, I, I am not going to have Danny turned into that same example. And I was, eternally mm -hmm. grateful um and because i had to be able to explain it spiritually to myself we did confess to the elders of the church we were going to in greenville so i was able to morally justify that by saying you know i already confessed it to the elders of the church where i was going confessing it again is unnecessary mm -hmm. but um my ex's parents gotcha were graduates of Bob Jones. His dad is actually a Bob Jones preacher. So it would not surprise me if they did it, but I, I don't know. I never asked them. I don't think he ever asked them. But Okay, so then you got taken to the dean's office, you mm -hmm. were saying? The actual dean of women at that time, it was her day off, so I was talking to like the vice dean, I guess, who ended up being promoted a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting in the office with her and my dorm supervisor for, I want to say about three hours, being more or less interrogated about, you know, what had happened, why oh did it God. happen, what did I think I was going to do. They asked if my parents knew, and again, I'm 21 years old, they want to know if my parents know what's going on. I said yes, and they didn't believe me. So... They called my mom at work. They pulled her out of the class that she was teaching to tell her what was going on. And Oh my God. Yeah, and it was kind of gratifying to see because uh, she started saying, you know, are you aware of whatever, whatever, and apparently got cut off mid-sentence. And her face went from this kind of grave smugness to oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. And she <laughs> kind of looked at me and handed the phone over and said, she wants to talk to you. I was like, all right. So I grabbed the phone. I was like, yeah, I'm here. And Mom was like, we will deal with this later. I don't care what you have to do. Come home. Like, I don't care about what's happening right now. You're going to be okay. Come home. And I was that helped me get through the rest of the interrogation because that happened within the first half hour or so. Um, mm, this huge. Yeah, it was, it was so much what I needed. Um, I don't remember everything they asked. I remember 
it being a big deal that I wasn't independent fundamental Baptist. And they were talking about how that was like an unequal yoke. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You're not our specific brand of Christian, so it's obviously the same as dating an unbeliever. Yes. Uh, Your children are going to have to be torn asunder. <laughs> I remember my ex telling me that when the dean of men called his dad, they talked specifically about, you know, me trying to pull him away from the Baptist faith. And I remember thinking, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, we are all like the same priesthood of believers like i was uh i went off all biblically and such (laughs) oh god yes 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 of course you did so went through that they uh they told me that my ex was addicted to porn uh um what were they trying to do they thought we should break up were they trying to just break you up yeah Ah, oh. instead of like getting married because purity culture, they'd rather you break up. Yeah. Well, I would suggest Abel. Like his parents actually called well, me the Great I mean, War of Babylon. Obviously, you were you were the one. Yeah. So I plan to get oh that tattooed. Yeah, I plan That's to get amazing. that title. That needs to tattooed. be your Twitter bio. Yeah, it's going to be tattooed underneath <laughs> a pinup girl on my left thigh. <laughs> So, got it planned. Got it covered. Yes. I was going to say, that's a, that would make a great tramp stamp. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, Correct. So, I don't remember, like, what all happened. I do know that my records were changed. Because, like I said earlier, I was already withdrawn. Mm-hmm. But my records were changed to say that I had been expelled. Wow. wow. That's just vindictive. Yeah. Um, and since I was an art major... I had a whole bunch of stuff like in my locker in the art building. So I got to be paraded around campus with my dorm supervisor having just this vice grip on my arm. Like I had bruises on my arm from how tightly she held me and going to pick up all of my art pieces and all of my, uh, all of the tools and everything that I needed. My initial plan had been to stay that night and go home the next day. But then I found out that if I were to do that, I would have to sleep on the floor beside my dorm supervisor's bed because I could not be alone. What? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Like, I just, I was not allowed to be but alone. you have a roommate? Yeah. Th- apparently that wasn't enough. But you had a roommate. Yeah. I had two roommates at that point. Wow. Mm-hmm. I guess that wasn't enough. It had to be someone wow. like in a sufficient amount of authority over me. So when that happened, I about fall red. Um, I began shaking with anger and just at the injustice of it. And I was like, okay, I need my phone to call my mom. And they allowed it. <laughs> so I <laughs> called mom. I was like, so look. I'm amazed. I was like, so look, this is what's, what's happening. And at that point, like, I wasn't allowed to drive if I was going to be home late. They didn't like me driving late at night. And at this point, it was around six o'clock, and I lived, oh, I lived a fair bit away. And I told mom, I was like, this is what's happening. I cannot stay here. Like, I I am coming home tonight. And she said, okay. So with the help of the dorm supervisor and the roommate that I suspect might have said something, uh, they helped me pack all of my shit. 
uh, helped me pack it into the car. Uh, my dorm supervisor and two of the RAs helped me pack it into the car and then they all hugged me. I didn't have a choice. I hugged them all and got in my car and uh, drove uh -huh. home. Which is like, what, a 10 hour drive from there? It was usually about an eight hour drive. I made it in seven hours, I think. I was not driving mm -hmm. safely. Wow. But, uh. No, yeah. That's shitty. But I, I was utterly broken when I got home. My mom helped me carry everything in. We just put it in the living room. And I was damn near catatonic for at least a week. Like, I remember her and I both sitting on the mm -hmm. floor. And she would, like, pick something up and put it in my hands and say, Okay, we're going to unpack this now. And we would unpack it. And I would just sit and cry. And she would let me. She was great about it all. Aww. Sit and unpack it. Okay, now we're going to mm -hmm. rest. You need to eat. Which was another part of the unhealthiness while I was there. I lost about... 40 or 50 pounds while I was there. Um, so I came home wow. and none of my clothes fit. In five months, that's, not, that's insane. Now, when I got home for yeah. Thanksgiving break, like I got out of the car and mom gasped because of how different I looked. Everyone mm -hmm. that I saw mm -hmm. from like campus Bible study and everything were like, you're not okay. I was like, oh no, I'm fine. You know, if this is what God wants for me, I'm fine. Wow. wow. So what would you tell, like, I highly doubt that we have a current Bob Jones University student listening to this, but, like, what would you tell them if you, if there was? If this is the love of God, how are you better than anyone else. Look at the fruit of the people around you. If by their fruit you shall know them, you need to take a good hard look at what you're doing and at what everyone around you is advocating and doing. Look up the Grace Report on Bob Jones. That would be a really good one. Uh, God, there's so much. We'll try to link to it in the show notes here. Um, just a, yeah, as an explanation, grace is the, uh, what is it, godly response to abuse in Christian something. It's an acronym. Christian environments. Thank you. Um, Christian environments, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they are an independent uh, Christian organization who will uh, more or less investigate different uh my words are failing sorry they'll investigate places like bob jones they investigated uh somewhere else i forget where um looking at allegations of abuse and how did they do abuse. sovereign grace i don't think so no sovereign grace wouldn't let them oh right yeah i remember sovereign grace wouldn't let them they've did they've done a bunch of different schools but yeah, uh, I'll link to the report in the show notes so you can you can look at it if you want to see. Basically, they they're like brought in as like a a Christian, but like aware of what constitutes actual sexual abuse mm -hmm. uh, organization to 
with actual like former prosecutors and social workers who will look over the materials and give an analysis of like what has actually happened and make a recommendation about what the institution, the church or the school or whatever should do to course correct based on their recommendations. So, yeah, there's a lot of examples. And of course, Bob Jones was just like, well, fuck you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Like, I submitted a bunch of stuff for it, actually. I remember starting to read through the report and having to stop because of how ill I got. Because it was just example after example mm. of this person was abused in the academy. This person was abused in the university. This person went to uh, people like Dr. Berg, Dr. Jim Berg. He's a horrible, horrible human being. Um, they would go to him and confess, not confess, but basically confess the abuse and uh, how his counseling handled things, which a lot of it was, you know, what were you wearing? You know, did you do anything to invite this? It, it was utterly horrific, and Bob Jones' response was, we didn't do anything wrong, and we're not changing anything. Well, Danny, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and, you know, this is stuff that's ongoing there, and mm -hmm. it's good that you were able to come and you know, talk and tell your story tonight. You know, we're, we're really glad we know you, and... Uh, how can people support you and your work now? Uh, Patreon would be absolutely dope. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing a few things. I'm hoping to get back into writing. I stopped writing uh, after some trauma in 2016. And I'm at a place in my life now where I want to do more of that. So um, you'd be supporting me being able to write, being able to continue to produce artwork. Uh, I'm working on doing like voice acting and narration. So if you become a patron, you'll get to hear like story time with Danny two Fridays every month uh, reading The Hunger Games right now. So I'm Fat Girl Media on P Patreon. Fat Girl Media everywhere, actually, if you are interested in any merchandise. I have an Etsy store and an upcoming online store as well. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Danny makes really good art. If you love our merch, then go support Danny's Patreon because it's great. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's really beautiful stuff. So thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, to, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. Yes, thank you for listening. You can find us on Patreon, too, if you want to support the podcast. It's patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. And <laughs> I, I'm really beating myself up over that handle. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got to stop every time. <laughs> I know. I like, I want it to be shorter than it is. But anyway, that's besides the point. As a patron, you get access to the entire archive of our episodes. Um, currently, for people who are not patrons, you get the most recent two and the first four episodes that are like the good background stuff. 
All of our information can be found on our website, which is kitchentablecult.com. And if you have any questions or ideas that you'd like us to cover, you can email us at kitchentablecult at gmail.com. The music you hear on this episode is by our friends over at the band The Heavens from their album Stenazzo. And our producer is Dave the Great. And thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. Bye. Bye.